Hello. Yeah, hi. I'm looking for Tim McGavern, uh, an executive uh, at the Academy Awards. Is, is this him? This is he. Uh, who am I speaking with? <sighs> Mr. McGavern, this is Ethan Edinburgh of the Bad Science Podcast. I have a bone to pick with you, sir. I'm talking about Moana on this week's episode, and I realized uh, by looking it up that Moana lost the Academy Award of Best Song, and that was clearly the best song, sir. Yeah, tell you what, Ethan, I'll keep it brief. I got a merger meeting in five. Uh, you're not the first person to call about this Moana mishap. Yeah, uh, Moana Gate. Moana Gate, if you will, is what it has been called. Listen, what's done is done. And uh, Moana sure did go a far away, if you know what I mean, Ethan. With all due respect, you are a scoundrel, sir. You are a rat bastard tell you what i'm sorry to have to cut this short but uh you know i have the la la land soundtrack to play have fun watching your children's films oh my uh, god moana gate is yeah. not over sir i will follow you everywhere that you go you will be haunted by me and the moana fans the moana army <laughs> Goodbye. bad science did the movie get it right bad science or will we have to fight Hi, everybody. Grab some popcorn, some bunch of crunch, your lab coat, and a microscope. This is Bad Science. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh, and this is the show that breaks down the science of movies with a comedian and a scientist. Today, we are discussing Moana from 2016. Not that uh, there is another Moana. I believe that's the only (laughs) one. Anyways, I'm super pumped to talk about this movie. I absolutely love it. To help me break it down, I have two fantastic guests. The first is a Miami native, just like me, so whoop whoop, 305. She is a correspondent on the two-time Emmy-nominated show CBS Mission Unstoppable and host of Exploration Nature Knows Best on Fox. It's Danny Washington. What's up? Great to be here. Thanks, Ethan. Absolutely. Great to have you, Danny. Thanks for joining us. Um, you double majored in marine science and biology, from what I understand, and you're an ocean advocate. So is it safe to say that the line where the sky meets the sea, it calls you? It calls me every moment of the day. I love the ocean so much. And that's one of the reasons why I adore this movie, because I see myself in Moana um, throughout the entire film. Yeah, that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. I see Moana in you. And and coming from me, that should mean nothing. <laughs> I mean, I, you would have caught me if you had met me when I was like eight or nine years old. I swear, like my parents would take me to the beach and I'd be talking to the ocean just like Moana did. Like, and I still to this day, to this day, I still do it. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I have a lot of questions about that, including your mental health. Um, but first, <laughs> you are the also the host of an upcoming Seeker podcast uh, called The Genius Generation. Is that correct? That is correct. And I am super stoked about it because we are interviewing young people under the age of 18 who have come up with some kind of discovery or innovation, a business uh, that's changing the world, literally. Like we've interviewed so many phenomenal um young leaders who are, they'll blow you away. You listen to their story and what they know, and they're like talking about machine learning and how they Whoa. invented and created this app that's going to help, you know, kids overcome depression and looking at how we can prevent wildfires, like all of these amazing individuals that are our future. They are the future. And I'm so privileged to be able to interview them and talk to them and hear about their new ideas. Trust me, after getting through a year like this, listening to these people talk about the work that they're doing in the world under the age of 18, it's like, it'll blow you away. Man, that sounds super fun. I mean, besides the entire whole science innovation part of it, which is fascinating, just kids in general must be so fun. I'm a huge fan of Kids Baking Championship. So 
if it's <laughs> kids doing uh yeah science inventions like that's that's the best of all worlds in my opinion very much so yeah and there's it's super futuristic too and it gives you a glimpse into what this next generation the gen zers are thinking about and how they're interpreting all of these huge problems that we're facing literally as humanity we're facing these things and they're tackling it head on they're not afraid they're not you know hesitating it's like okay let's figure the solutions out and let's implement them like now Wow. And they're okay. just, they're all about it. I love it. That sounds incredible. I cannot wait to listen to this podcast. And speaking about helping future generations, our other guest is a comedy musician and he has great songs such as Shut the F Up and Put on Your Mask. Uh, he also played Jim and Andy in The Office, a musical parody. It's Tom McGovern. Man, I, uh, I have, I knew I was going to come into this feeling underqualified uh, in the company <laughs> of, uh, of someone like Danny. But after your intro, I was like, damn it. We have somebody that is a is an ocean science specialist cultivating young minds, and then we have a dude that makes TikToks in his girlfriend's parents' house. <laughs> I just, That's I, perfect. I feel lucky to be here. Oh my god! Well, we're we're lucky to have you, Tom. I'm a big fan. I see you putting stuff out all the time. I mean, your output is just like unbelievable. You're you're a mile a minute here. Um, but I saw that you're also cooking up an indie feature called Duelers. Is that correct? Yeah. So that uh, well, first of all, thank you. Likewise, I'm a I'm a big fan of of everything you're doing too. And the duelers we shot, it's already wrapped and it's in post right now. We shot it last January and it's a, an indie film about a dueling piano bar. It's a, the last night at a dueling piano bar. It's about to close. It's about to be sold. And I play one of the dueling piano players. And I was lucky to draw from some real experience because that's how I made a living in New York for, mm -hmm. uh, for about four years before uh, the pandemic came along. So... It was cool. It's a lot of fun to work on. All the music in the movie is played live, and uh, yeah, Ooh. I'm psyched to see it. Yeah, that sounds super cool. And do you guys ever actually, in your experience, have you had actual duels with the people that you are dual pianoing? You know, do you guys get into it competitively? Right. We find horses. We get jousts, shields. Yes. We take to the streets. Classic <laughs> yeah. duel stuff. Uh, no, no, but you know, I'm lucky to say I've never gotten into a, a an actual fight at a dueling piano bar. I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah, I because I like the sound of it. I like the title, the concept, right. dueling piano. Anytime that I've walked, because I used to, you know, play in cover bands in Boston and stuff. And then, you know, next door they would have like dueling pianos. I'd be like, oh, I go check this out. Yeah. But they always seem to be getting along. Yeah, everyone, everyone has a good time. The the number of times that. Somebody has come up to me and I've told them, yeah, I'm a dueling piano player. Uh, I'll be talking to a guy and I'll go, oh, so what do you guys, uh, you fight each other up there or something? <laughs> yeah, it's just the name. It's just the way the pianos look at each other, right. I guess. Very, the pianos look like they're upset. That sounds like a great episode of like WWE or something. They should incorporate that. Bring out some, you know, yes. baby grands in the middle right. of the thing and like, boom, there yeah. it is. And then you go fight in the ring. <laughs> right. Your best uh, sonata and then and then go at it with a foldable chair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah that's what all wrestling fans love too. <laughs> classical piano. That's what they want. Um, okay. So we're talking about Moana, guys. She's bringing us together today. And I... I'm curious to hear what you guys think. I mean, I'll give you my simple-minded schmuck take. I think the movie absolutely rules. I love it. I love the story, the setting. I love that there's no love story. I think the songs are unbelievable. I rewatched it yesterday. I, I, it was my second time watching it, and I watched it by myself, and I cried three times. So for me, <laughs> this movie has absolutely everything. Oh my gosh, I'm right there with you. I definitely cried again and again. Every time I see it, I do, because there are so many references to the ocean and like the love of the ocean nature in general like that really 
touches my heart every time. But I would say, yeah, I the reviews regarding the cultural appropriation concepts in there, yes, I see it. Um, there are a lot of different things. But what I love about this movie is that it changes the narrative about what a traditional Disney princess looks like and acts like. She's totally yes. different than every other princess. She is a heroine. She's going after her dream. She's you know, fighting for her people. And I, I really, really love that. But of course, they're going to get some things wrong culturally because they didn't have a team of, you know, uh, folks who are of Polynesian descent who could actually tell them the specifics. You know, they had the rock on there. Okay, cool. He's that's part of his heritage. But like, who actually wrote the script? Who was there influencing the animations? Like it wasn't an entire Polynesian team. So it makes sense that they, mm-hmm. they kind of messed up a few things. Yeah. But I think it's a great introduction for people to just get a small taste of what Polynesian culture is like. Um, and that it's also not a monolith because we're talking about multiple islands all over the world, everywhere from, you know, Samoa all the way to New Zealand. There are so many, there's a thread that goes through, but each culture is very, very different island to island. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, Tom, did you enjoy the film or are you a Moana hater? Yeah, no, I'm on the I'm on the, the cry bus. Cried twice uh, <laughs> as soon as we lose uh, as soon as the grandma passes away, that that really gets me. When she's like, "I'll be with you always, wherever you go," along those lines, whatever she says. Yeah. Um, I watched it also last night for the second time. I was with my girlfriend, and uh, <laughs> she's also a big fan of the movie. And before we even started, she was like, oh, I'm, "I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry four times, guaranteed." <laughs> and, uh, sure enough, we we hit it. It's it's that. It's really it's any kind of movie that deals with like parent losing a parent or losing a a, a grandparent. That always hits me in the heart, and I think Moana does a, a really beautiful job dancing around that. Coco does the same thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but Coco's yeah, I mean, one. I love it. It, You know what strikes me about Moana, at least the first thing that did when I saw it, and again, watching it, is the the animation, specifically the animation of the water. It's just stunning what they are what they oh pick out and what they were able to, to do. It's like... It's unreal. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I think that's what I read actually took the longest, why the movie took... A while to come out because they were dealing with some new technology and the CGI and like how they're animating it and it was just like oh so much work but worth it when you see that oh I, that's how I imagine the ocean you know talking to me not yeah. because I was like the waves are gonna come at me yes yeah <laughs> yeah that animation is unbelievably absurd and and I love that I'm the exact median of you and your girlfriend Tom that I cried three times so it seems like the three of us would get along yeah um emotionally yeah I think that maybe it's the music for me. I because I even cried before the grandmother falls ill. Um, just when she starts singing, I don't know. There's something wired into my brain when <laughs> when she starts singing about wanting to to take on the ocean. That it's just I couldn't even. I was I was shocked. I was like looking around. There was nobody with me, but I was kind of looking around. Like, is anybody else feeling like why? She's this is a positive moment. And I have tears in my eyes. What is happening? Yeah, I'll tell you when I had tears in my eyes, it was the moment when we saw baby Moana, you know, after listening to her grandmother's story and going out to the ocean and then seeing the sea turtle hatchling that she was mm-hmm. helping get to the water, like <gasps> yeah. choke it up. Cause I love sea turtles, by the way, they're one of my favorite ocean animals and they mm-hmm. are so interesting. And that whole story, just to peep into it, you know, seven species around the world of sea turtles only. Okay, and all seven are endangered. And the journey that those little hatchlings have to go through in order to survive to adulthood is like unbelievable. And the average, you know, without humans being involved at all, the average number of sea turtles that survive from a nest of, let's say, like 100 to 150 eggs usually is about one. 
So one sea turtle Ooh. will live to full adulthood from that nest. And so that like sparked a lot of things for me because I volunteered over the years helping with sea turtle nests because I'm from Miami. And so are you then, you know, and every winter or midsummer, we have like nests that we need to protect. And you'll see that yellow white tape on the beach so that people don't trample on the nests. But like it's they're one of the most badass animals in the ocean because they survive so much. Yeah, well, I, I was going to ask if we should be doing that or if we should kind of let nature do its thing like should we be out there protecting them and or is that kind of just natural selection you know they're going to die anyways because they're weak in the ocean i think we should be out there protecting them because we as humans have already created so many other obstacles that they have to overcome in order to survive um i think it's the least we can do uh to at least assist in a bit and in a small way um there's no telling what happens after they leave that shoreline and they're out in the open ocean we have no control over that but at least we can control what we're able to, and that's along our coastline. Um, we've added different factors like light pollution, where there's so much development along the beaches that sea turtles get confused when they come out of the nest, the hatchlings, they're, you know, innately, they know to follow the moonlight. Um, but now that we oh, have no. buildings on land and they're bright lights, they think that's the moon. So they'll end up going that way and going inland instead of out to the ocean. So we've got that against them. We've got plastic debris everywhere that they think is food, which is not not cool whatsoever because it's not food. I would want to eat plastic. Do you want to eat plastic? No, not. of no. course. Not like eating no. plastic in my experience. It sucks. It sucks. Yeah. It tastes, it's disgusting. So, you know, when you, when you eat food that's been in plastic for too long, you got that little tinge of like that. Eh. I, don't, I don't even want to get into the chemicals that are in plastic, but we can if you want to. It's um, unhealthy, let's it's, say. Yeah. It's very unhealthy. They're endocrine inhibitors. Hmm. They're disrupting our hormonal system in our bodies. That's what those chemicals are doing to us. Man, anytime we have any sort of like marine-based film that we're discussing, I instantly get into this judgmental mode where I'm like, we are such primitive idiots. Oh, yeah. We're messing up on the reg. Big, like huge. Yeah. It's it's frustrating, you know, because we, I don't think that most humans are not intentionally trying to do these things to harm other living beings and to harm nature in general, but it's just, it's a byproduct of our behavior. And we make these mm -hmm. choices every single day for our own convenience. And it ends up having this ripple effect that is not good. So it's, yeah. to me, you know, as an ocean advocate, it, you can go down this rabbit hole of very depressing topics super quickly. Sweet. I, yeah, but I don't know if we want to do that. I would rather look at how we can <laughs> solve these things and just do better, do better. Nature is yeah. calling out to us and telling us, hey, I need y'all to get it together, okay? Because yeah. if you don't, I'm going to keep going and you won't because the earth will definitely go on without us if we choose that route. Mm -hmm. um, right. Humanity doesn't need to be here. The planet can yeah. survive on its own. That is kind of comforting. Like if we keep screwing it up, like actually it's okay because the world will kind of take itself back. We just won't be around for it. We won't be around for it. Exactly. And the ocean is resilient. Uh, it just needs time and space and obviously no plastic pollution. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, I have questions on both sides of the spectrum. I have fun, positive questions too. But obviously when we're talking about the ocean, yeah, there's a lot that... Uh, sucks pelotas as uh, people would say where i'm from <laughs> all right we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back the break is over here we go back to the show about science so maui i was thinking about his character that he's this shape-shifting demigod okay so 
are there ocean creatures that that like reminds you of that can shape shift? Obviously, I doubt an octopus can like turn into a shark, but they can change colors and like I know they can like squeeze through like super tiny things. So I don't know. I just wanted to like pose that to you if it reminded you of anything. Yeah, I think that you took the words out of my mouth. I mean, for sure, as far as somewhat shape shifting octopi, octopuses. Sorry, I always say that octopi is incorrect. It's octopuses. Oh, oh really? Messing yes. that up for my whole yeah. life. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and correcting people and sounding like a jackass. Excuse me. <laughs> but yeah, Whoops. they they're they're so intelligent, and people underestimate these these uh, amazing animals. Um, they are observant. They're able to change the texture of their skin. They have um, these pores that essentially change shape. So it allows them to change their color and then also change the texture of their skin so they can look like their surroundings and completely camouflage themselves, which is brilliant. Um, Speaking of octopus, though, have you seen My Octopus Teacher just came out recently on Netflix? What is that? Okay. When we get off this interview, you guys need to go see this. It is Deal. an incredible documentary. Um, it's not long, but it's about a underwater cinematographer who ends up building this friendship with a single octopus in the ocean off the coast of where he lives in South Africa. And like it, the documentary takes you through this whole process. Most you know, octopus will only live for about a year. They have a super short lifespan. But during that time, like oh, the process that they go through and just their daily living and how they um, interact with the other animals underwater. I mean, it's amazing. So you have to see it. To me, it's it's cool. honestly my the, my top movie of the entire year. I don't Damn. think I was aware that octo, octopuses could develop. <laughs> see, I almost said it. I almost said octopi. <laughs> I wasn't aware that they could uh, develop relationships. I knew that they were intelligent, but I didn't know that they had the ability to actually bond with a human. Yeah, you will be blown away by this and and just the way that they told the story. And it was just in this small little area of the kelp forest right near the shore um, that he would go and just walk off the beach and swim out to and see her every day um, and watch the predator prey interactions because there are like some sharks there that like to eat her species and all that stuff. And and it wasn't the movie wasn't about like just personifying an animal and making it more human like it was more about like a admiring the beauty and the wonder of this very unique animal that most people kind of loathe or prefer to have it on their plate, you know, for dinner. Um, It's just bringing more life and more um, inspiration, I think, for people to see like how incredible the ocean is. My Octopus Teacher on Netflix. Yeah, that's that's the plug of the century. I would love an octopus homie. That would be that'd be ideal. Right, right. And other fun fact about octopus is that they have they can taste with their tentacles. So you know they have eight arms, and on each arm they have hundreds of these little suction cups. Those little suction cups allow them, if they touch something with them, they can actually taste what it is. Whoa! So wait, are they <laughs> tasting stuff all the time, like by all accident? The time. No, I mean they're just in their own locomotion and moving through their you know their habitat. They have to touch and move and hold on, and so they're able to taste things through their suction cups, the tentacles. So you're like most of their life is like them going like, ugh, rock, oh, ugh, yeah. sand, oh, ugh, yeah. coral. <laughs> oh, food, food, food. <laughs> this is good. This is good. Yes. They wow. love to eat like crabs and shrimps and lobsters, lots of, you know, bottom dwelling uh, crustaceans. Today, wow. I'm grateful that we can't, uh, that we can't do that, that we can't taste with our hands and feet. Yeah. You got to be grateful for the little things. Can you imagine? We no. touching. Oh, no. When you think about that doorknob that you're... <laughs> Yeah, I don't even want to. Uh, I don't even want to think about that. Yeah, that's a disease nightmare. Um, so also, I like that we kind of learned that there's a social bear trap that you can put into place by just saying 
octopuses. Like if you say that in a social setting, someone, <laughs> someone's going to step on, on that, you know, oh, somebody's yeah. going to, excuse me, that's not correct, oh. Tom. It's octopi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I talked to a specialist about this on a podcast, so uh, let me drop some knowledge. Actually, you're wrong. Yeah, you're wrong, sir. Yeah, that's nice. Um, okay, so Moana's grandma has this big tattoo of a stingray or a manta ray. I'm not sure. Manta ray. A manta ray, thank yeah. you. And she says she's going to come back as a manta ray. She does come back as a manta ray. So naturally, my question for the two of you is, what will you be coming back as? There you go. <laughs> I know what I'm going to be. I would definitely come back as an orca, a killer whale. They're powerful, intelligent animal in the ocean, in my opinion. Um, They are obviously, they're cetaceans, so they're related to other whales and dolphins. And orca are actually not whales. They are considered a part of the dolphin family. And so they, um, they're mm. toothed whales and they're different than, let's say, a humpback or a blue whale or, a, you know, a bride's whale. They don't have baleen. Those other whales, they have this, like, almost like the bottom of a broom. That's how their mouth is structured and that allows them to catch krill Baleen. yeah and that's when you see it's like my daughter's name feeding they open <laughs> that's your daughter's i don't name. have children <laughs> Baleen. soccer practice uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah no they open their mouths and they gulp this huge amount of water where like a school of krill or little you know small microorganisms are living and they'll just sift it out so they'll push the water out but the krill stay inside mm. of their mouths and then they can Little swallow filter it. mouth yeah to me it's insane how like some of the largest marine animals in the world eat some of the smallest marine animals <laughs> as yeah. their you know their diet and still can grow to that size you know the blue whale the largest animal that has ever lived on planet earth even bigger than dinosaurs and lives solely off of filter feeding and eating krill wow do you know is there, is there a specific reason why whales and 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 other large sea creatures evolved that way to eat the you know the some of the smallest critters on the food chain is is there a other are they stupid yeah are they dumb is what i'm asking (laughs) yeah big food is fun no they have huge brains (laughs) huge um and they have social and familial bonds you know with their own pods and uh, they stick together they have languages especially like going back to the orca we have different pods around the world so there's transient pods and resident pods so the transients are the ones who like circumnavigate the world they swim everywhere thousands of miles and then there's the resident pods like that we find in puget sound up near washington state and they live there in their their entire lifespan and they just kind of hover in that area have a very specific type of diet um and then yeah that's how they live so that you and then within each pod they have their own language so how they communicate with each other it's totally different so if they if the pods meet there's a language barrier that's that's there which is super fascinating to me but yeah they it's interesting with whales and dolphins they are very selective in their meal choice but to me especially when it comes to like baleen whales and the reason and the fact that they feed on these tiny little you know krill and small fish it shows me the full cycle of life and how nature is completely interdependent and and connected and so think of whales as like the farmers of the sea so they eat this tiny stuff they eat the little krill they look like little mini shrimp And they eat hundreds of thousands of them at a time. And then as soon as they digest that, they poop out hundreds of pounds of poop. 
And that poop fertilizes the next round of microorganisms that will grow. And so it's like this whole cycle. And then when the whale dies, a lot of times the whale carcass will sink to the bottom and will serve as food for all the benthic animals. So there's lots of like different types of lampreys and like other fish, crabs that all feed off of this whale carcass and all that's left are the bones. And so it all just goes back hand in hand. And so we have to let that flow. We have to let that cycle continue. But there are of course other human factors that are inhibiting whales from living their best lives the way they're supposed to. Um, Everything from like boat strikes, dealing with these massive tankers out in the open ocean that are crossing through migratory paths of whales and hitting them. Um, And then eventually they die of internal bleeding. And then there's also, again, the damn plastic pollution, the marine debris. Certain species are eating it or getting entangled in it. And it it shortens their lifespan. And they can live for a long time. They have, Most whale species, they have like a similar lifespan to a human. So we have to do everything we can to make sure that they have the freedom and the ability to swim and live the way they're supposed to. Interesting. I'm just spitballing. Strategy one. Okay. Here we go. We become pirates. Hide next to these boats that are crossing the whale's paths. Turn the boats around <laughs> manually. Reroute their tracks. Now we're pirates. We use our pirate skills, collect plastic on our own accord because we probably have ships now. Yes. (laughs) Um, I like that strategy. In fact, if you haven't heard of this group, they're called Sea Shepherd and they're very controversial. Not everybody likes them. Not everybody wants them around. They are considered the pirates of the modern day. And what they do is exactly what you just said. They go to all these places, these far remote areas of the ocean um, and protect whales (laughs) <laughs> from whaling and also they chase after illegal fishing boats too and they will shut Whoa. shut them down that's awesome why don't people like them yeah well sometimes you know the the strategies in which they go about doing that some some areas you know along the coast people are fishing illegally because that's their only form of sustenance that's the only way they're going to mm. feed their families and so when sea shepherd comes in and intervenes it's it feels a bit like a form of you know colonialism where it's like the white man comes in takes over and you know messes things up so there's to me there's just a lack of communication there and relationship i know that sea shepherds intentions are really positive they want to make sure we can protect what's left and they're passionate and and guess what they're also completely volunteer based everyone who goes on these expeditions on these different vessels with sea shepherd they are volunteering their time so they'll spend like a year of their lives just on board this boat trying to do the best that they can you know, but at the same time, like I said, there are people out there who are just wanting to feed their families and this is the only option they have. And so we have to figure out how do we get them to create a sustainable way of living and providing for themselves while at the same time not interfering with their own cultural practices and standards. So it's it's a really very, very tricky way, you know, to have to deal with this. But I do commend Sea Shepherd for, you know, at least taking initiative to want to stop those who are out in the open ocean doing the wrong thing because there are laws that were established, you know, by the UN and like all these different conglomerates of different nations coming together saying, hey, we need to protect this because it's far more valuable alive than dead. For example, with sharks, you know, we're seeing 100 million sharks being slaughtered every year. One shark alone could provide millions of dollars of tourism revenue for a community, a coastal community, you know, over years of time opposed to killing it for its fins, which that's been the case for the last decade or so. Huge demand for shark fin, Mm -hmm. specifically in Asia for a delicacy uh, known as shark fin soup, where they kind of shred up the the fins and put it into a pork or chicken broth. It's really just cartilage. So it's literally like if the roles were reversed, we'd be like the sharks would be getting us and just chopping off our ears and our nose. 
and eating that and leaving the rest. I mean, really weird, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> you don't want that. No, no good. <laughs> There's no need. Yeah, it's heartbreaking because I I know that you said that you you feel very connected to uh, to sea turtles and orcas and whatnot. For me, it's always been sharks. Ever since I was a kid, I've just been really oh, yeah? sharks, and uh, they're they're just fascinating fascinating creatures. And I think they're super super misunderstood. And the reference that I always bring up in conversation when I tell somebody that I love sharks, and people are usually like, "Why? They're you know they're uh, they're terrifying, obviously, right?" There's a video that I saw, and I may be misquoting this, but there's footage of some sort of shark, like a black tip shark, maybe. And there's a bunch of these sharks swimming around, and it's underscored by the Jaws theme, which is obviously, you know, you put the Jaws theme under anything, it's going to be terrifying. It builds suspense. Yep. They took the same footage and they underscored it with some sort of romantic string orchestra arrangement. And suddenly the footage that might have frightened you six seconds ago is this beautiful display of this complex, powerful creature. And it really is. And this is a bit of a soapbox moment, but I think it started with Jaws. I think Jaws really jammed up Shark's... Um, presence in, in pop culture and, and the popular representation of sharks in uh, in the media. And maybe that's why a lot of people, when they think of activism, they don't necessarily jump to, hey, let's help the sharks, because a lot of people that aren't necessarily passionate or educated when it comes to ocean conservation don't, you know, they don't jump to thinking about sharks as, as a cute creature that they want to save, you know? So it's, it's interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jaws totally burnt this negative imagery of sharks into people's mind for generations. I mean, my, they're talking to my parents and my grandparents and to this day, they're like, no, 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 yeah. I'm not going in the ocean. My mom's side of the family is Jamaican. And like, we, you know, you live in an island and you don't want to go in and you don't swim. Like, what the hell? And it, it's really because of this fear, this really yeah. innate fear of like mm-hmm. the unknown. Because when you're out in the water, that one scene with Jaws where he's coming up under that girl out of the depth is absolutely terrifying. But, you know, to this day, um, I had the privilege of seeing um, Peter Benchley, who was the author of the original book that was interpreted by Steven Spielberg into the movie. I saw him speak my last year at the University of Miami. um, And this was shortly before he passed away. And he honestly said he was like. This one of my greatest regrets was ever writing that book because he felt responsible for the plight of sharks. Whoa. And wow. he spent the rest of his life all the way up until his death, not only, you know, financially putting forward to help the conservation of sharks, but also being a vocal activist who wanted to make sure that sharks could survive through this period of time while we're here. And um, his wife now continues his legacy and, and they're a huge proponent in the ocean conservation community for supporting projects and other conservation efforts. And I'm really grateful for that because he saw the light. He saw afterward, he saw the ripple effect and like, ah, oh, goodness. I'm piggybacking on that. I feel like it's probably better... I mean, this is coming from just my hollow brain, but I assume it's probably better to like focus on the ocean as a whole, because if we, I don't know, I just don't have a lot of faith in humans, because if we like focus on one animal or another, we're probably like ignoring a species or hurting a species. You know, we only want to help like big cute ones that we like, but I feel like the ocean (laughs) as a whole is being like crapped on constantly. So, you know, are there things that we can do, I guess, to help all of them? Like, should we all just get over sushi and poke bowls <laughs> that is a great question and and going back to your point about the, the the cute animals like we call them charismatic megafauna it's all the stuff like whales and dolphins and manatees and you know all this the squishy cute stuff that we want to save but yeah every single living organism in the ocean is important and is a part of this 
very specific ecosystem and food chain and we need every every component you know we can't pull one out and say oh it'll it'll keep going no Mm -mm. so to answer your question about seafood i personally don't eat seafood because i know what the seafood industry does and what what's really deep about this is that it's not just about the fish either you know we have the open ocean where enforcement is really limited people are not out there the lifeguard the coast guard they're not out there like monitoring everything i mean maybe within the eez which is the exclusive economic zone that every nation is entitled to which is about 200 nautical miles from their land you know from the shoreline out into the open sea but beyond those 200 miles it's a free-for-all and um all kinds of things happen out there there are people in you know along the coast of southeast asia that are being enslaved that are taken on these fishing vessels and they're captured, they're kidnapped, and they're not, how can they get home? They're stuck out in the open sea and they're just all kinds of terrible conditions. And so it's a human rights issue as well. And so we have to do something. And the only way we can help this situation, other than going out on a boat, like my friend uh, Ian Urbina, who's an incredible author, New York Times bestselling author, he just came out with a book called uh, Outlaw Ocean that describes, because he actually went and lived on these fishing vessels and got a firsthand account of what's been going on. You have to read it. But what you can do now, if you can't get on that fishing boat, is to stop eating seafood. Limit the amount of food that you eat. And also, if you have to eat it as a part of your diet, you know, and maybe what you need nutritionally, then make sure you buy sustainably caught seafood. And there are lots of different organizations out there, um, including MSC, which is the Marine Stewardship Council, I believe. And they certify where certain types of seafood come from. So when you go to the grocery store, look for that label. You can also go on the Seafood Watch app, which is, you know, created by the Monterey Bay Aquarium over in California. And that outlines how good or bad a certain type of fish is. Because when you go to a restaurant and you order some seafood, you don't know where that seafood came from. And majority of fish and seafood that we eat in here in the U.S. specifically, most of it, we have no idea where it came from. It was flash frozen somewhere. It could have been a year ago. could have been six months ago. Who knows? So that's why I choose not to eat seafood here in the U.S. Awesome. Okay. Wow. So you're reverse pescatarian. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? don't get me wrong. I love seafood. When I when I did eat it, I mean, it's my favorite. I the fish are my friends and my food. I, I like mm-hmm. it's good, but I do miss it. But I, I am willing to make that sacrifice because I want to see this shift. And like I said earlier, it's like we need to give the ocean time and space. It it can regenerate itself. We just have to stop. What, what about things. what you were saying? Like if you if you use the what was it called? Sea Watch app. Seafood Watch. Yes. Seafood Watch app. Like if you have the highest one hundred percent grade, totally safe. This is what the fish wanted. It wrote in its will. <laughs> You know, I want to be served with brown rice, or is it still just like, no, I'm, I'm, you know, you're in it for the movement. You want people to just limit their intake. Yes, I'm in it for the movement. And at this juncture, we're at a precipice where we, there's a, it's the point of no return. If we continue to eat the amount of seafood that we have been eating and are currently eating, um, you know, 90% of big fish stocks that we traditionally ate in the past are gone. They're gone. Jeez. So I'm talking about the tunas and all of those favorite, you know, favorite items that people love um, on their dinner mm-hmm. plate. They're they've been overfished. We are the lava monsters of the real world. Yeah, we, we yeah. live. We are. We are. Yeah, we're tech. What is it? Uh, teka. Teka. Yeah. Teka? yeah. yeah. Tom, Great. your name is actually really close to Ted's. Like, so I don't know. I'm not blaming you specifically, yeah. but. I mean, if you're eating seafood, it's something to think about. I didn't want to come on here to uh, admit this, but it seems like that's where we're headed. So yeah, that is, uh, I'm the cause of all of this damage worldwide, (laughs) ocean-wide. Today I take a stand. My diet as of uh, after this podcast recording, I'm going whey protein shakes and, uh, and peanut butter puffins. 
That's it. I would actually recommend you should try out some pea plant protein. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say the same thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. No more dairy. Cause that's the other thing when it comes to diet, when you eat cattle, beef, livestock, that's also contributing to the health of the ocean because, and actually negatively contributing because of all the greenhouse gases, the methane that these cows are releasing into the air, AKA their farts um, and burps. That's all contributing to climate change. Danny, and- I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I didn't bring you on this program to talk about poops and farts. Uh, well, now we've mentioned is, both. I mean, both, Tom and I yeah. love to joke around, but this is just, this is immature stuff. <laughs> Jesus. No better way to get someone's attention than to talk about poop and farts. I mean, That's I'm sorry. true. And it still makes me laugh. I can't help it. It's never not going to be funny, I don't think. I've thought about it for a long time. I just like, am I going to be in my late 30s and am I still going to laugh at fart jokes? And I'm confident that I will. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. a good bet. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're saying that even eating meat, whether yeah it's cows or I assume otherwise, is still contributing to ocean damage. We're still yes. we're still ruining the planet that wow. way. Yeah, because we're consuming so much of it. You know, we're eating millions, if not billions, of chickens every day. Cows, another you know uh, astronomical number, and it's causing land depletion as well because we have to grow. You know, these animals have to grow somewhere, and uh, yeah, it, the best route, the best solution that you could ever utilize is to become a uh, plant based doesn't mean you necessarily have to be vegan um but moderate you know just eat things in moderation you don't have to eat red meat every day maybe just go plant-based five days a week and then treat yourself but i mean you i know. would love to join you danny but if i don't have my morning steak <laughs> everything's food <laughs> oh you're one of those huh you like, you like that morning beef <laughs> i need i need my morning steak it's like yeah. it used to be coffee and i switched it All right that 9 a.m filet medium rare and then you can start the engines yeah exactly Uh, then i'm in a good mood then i can answer questions no i'm totally with you that seems like the move i'm gonna be emailing tom every day to make sure he's also on the track right so i hope you're prepared for that uh because i'm doing uh, irreparable damage daily and uh, it's time to change right yeah easy is one two three it's just it's your choice every action that you take part in is it's having it's having a ripple effect for sure frightening (laughs) all right we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back the break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. This is another like real stupid question, but Moana at one point gets mad at the ocean and yells at it, fish pee in you all day. <laughs> that line. Dude, that reading, is my mind. <laughs> reading my mind. That was a question I had. I was like, yeah. is, this, is that? You I know? mean, we're talking about poops and farts. So right. let's throw pee in the mix. Let's um, be, throw it in. <laughs> is that true? Are fish peeing all day? And does that matter? I mean, yes. I assume yes. people pee in the ocean all the time too. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Question mark. Oh, for sure. Yes. Uh, we know it as urea. It's this, you know, it's the excrement that comes out of the fish after they've digested their food. Um, and they they are contributing to the chemistry of the ocean. The chemical composition of seawater is very unique and it changes in different parts of the ocean. You know, the salinity can be a little bit higher in certain places, lower in others. All of those things are keeping the ocean in balance. And like when you think about animals that grow their own shells, for example, you know, clams, oysters, even crabs and shrimp and lobster, they depend on the chemistry of the ocean to be at a stable place. If it's not, then things start to change. So for example, right now, we're seeing the chemistry of the ocean change because of the excess carbon. So we're putting all this carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. The ocean is and always has been the original carbon sink. 
that's where most of our exhales, everything goes back into the ocean. The ocean recycles it through the carbon cycle and allows these animals to build their shells and their exoskeletons and they can grow nice and strong. Now that we're putting so much more carbon out there, the ocean is at its carrying capacity and like it's now changing the chemistry of the water to become more acidic. So these animals are not able to properly grow their shells. What does that even mean? Well, all of the animals that I just mentioned are basically the foundation of most ocean, you know, food chains. And without them, the bigger animals can't eat and it just moves up the chain. Whoa. So we need the ocean chemistry to stay in the right pH, yeah. uh, the right level, the way it's supposed to be. But we can only do that by sequestering the extra carbon. And good news, ocean plants, marine plants like algae, for example, specifically kelp, one of the fastest growing plants on the planet, kelp and bamboo grow the fastest of any other plant. Hmm. A foot a day, Damn. kelp growing a foot a day. Wow, I wish I agree that. Time. 12 inches. Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> and what do they do? They sequester carbon. They absorb that extra carbon and use it to build the plant tissue. So if we can start doing things like vertical ocean farming, where farmers, our fishermen are transitioning from catching fish to actually growing kelp and serving it. It's the newest fad in New York. Before Ooh. COVID, before lockdown, it was like chefs were, were it was in high demand for um, seaweed noodles. So instead of using traditional, car, you know, wheat-based noodles, you could actually use seaweed instead. And it's delicious. It's Ooh, delicious. Okay. So, <laughs> any question for you. I should, I'm about a 15-minute walk from the ocean right now. Will I be giving back to the ecosystem if every time that I need to use the bathroom, I walk to the ocean and do it there? You know, I don't think I would recommend that. Um, I would. <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, I think I you know, should do that. I think I yeah. might. I have Ethan's blessing. I'm just going to go <laughs> in the ocean from now for the rest of my life. I think I'll just live a happier life knowing that you have to do that. Yeah. And no matter what, rain, shine, I'm walking to, <laughs> to use the restroom in the water. <laughs> and thinking that you're helping. Right. My takeaway here is if I pee in the ocean, kelp's going to grow one to two feet every hour. Yeah. And you can oh eat whatever gosh. you want because it's offsetting it. Exactly. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. Good luck to you because yeah. uh, all kinds of things could happen if you do that. <laughs> no, I think that that's great. Kelp helps. We need more kelp. Right. I feel like yeah. maybe I have eaten it and I don't remember because my memory is bad. Well, you should watch the episode of Exploration Nature Knows Best that I hosted. I think it was season two. And we went to meet one of these uh, vertical ocean farmers up Ooh. in Connecticut. And he took me on his boat and we went and harvested some of the kelp. And I ate it right there on the dock. It was delicious. Cool. It kind of wow. tasted like um, salty, salty uh, asparagus or cool. maybe a salty cucumber. It was yummy. And then you cook it. It was delicious. No prep. No prep. Straight from the ocean. All right. I'm a mermaid. So that's what I do. You're a real mermaid. (laughs) Real life mermaid. Real life. The mocha mermaid, to be exact. Yes. Mocha mermaid. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Please tell me that's like an Instagram handle of yours. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's a whole lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. (laughs) It's a lifestyle (laughs) brand. Excuse me. Mocha mermaid. That's so good. You ever start a band? That's uh, that's your front woman name, Mocha Mermaid and the Kelp Gang. Yeah, yeah the Kelp Gang. Oh I love my it. God, it's a bunch of brass. Oh, I would love to see them live. Yeah, ocean themed <laughs> uh, background. Okay, we I have so much work to do prepping for these shows. Um, okay, uh, I wanted to ask about coconuts. Also, there's like heavy oh, no, coconut themed stuff in this movie, and they're claiming in the song. I think it's the first song. They're claiming that like coconuts are all you need, basically. And so I was gonna pose that to you, like. Like, are coconuts everything? Coconuts are definitely important and very important to any island culture. I know, you know, my Caribbean heritage, we we have coconut and everything. Coconut milk, coconut water, like, it's awesome. But come to find out, you know, coconut water, the nutrients that are in coconuts 
are it's very nutritious. And I believe it was during World War II when we had a lot of soldiers, American soldiers who were stranded and injured um, overseas. They basically utilize coconut water to help reboot their system and help them gain their strength back because it's full of electrolytes. Wow. And it gives you like similar to like eating a banana, you're going to get the same amount. I think it's delicious. Not everybody loves it. Another interesting thing that I'd read about, and this is kind of going back to the critique of the film of Moana, there is a bit of a derogatory notion with this because some certain, you know, Polynesian cultures in the past have basically uh, experienced other people using coconuts as like a derogatory name. So that's why I was like, ah, it was iffy that they had such a huge presence mm. of, you know, coconuts in the film. Um, I know that was one of the critiques, well, but all in all, I would say, yes, coconuts are super important and they're, they're so delicious. I love them. Yeah, me too. Um, okay. Oh, wait, I just realized something. Oh, yeah. Y'all didn't answer the question that you asked, Ethan. What animal would oh you come God, back you're as? right. Jesus Christ. Oh. Thank you for hosting this show. That was three <laughs> hours ago. That's awesome. Thousand percent correct. <laughs> uh, Tom, go ahead, man. What, what animal? Well, you kind of said you love sharks. So yeah. maybe I took that as an answer. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that was kind of that was kind of a piggyback answer. It's got to be a shark. Specifically, it's got to be the hammerhead. I, the hammerhead mm. is my favorite for a lot of reasons. Yep. Uh, I think it's the most. I was drawn to it just because it it doesn't look like I guess your your typical shark. It's it's a very unique looking, um, obviously a unique looking shark with its its literal hammerhead, which is called a cephalofoil. Yep. Um, Ayo, it's, the hammerhead is the only thing that I really know a little bit about. I'm even scared to try to drop some facts in Danny's presence because I don't want to. I don't want to. No, do yeah, it. Please, do drop it. it. But yeah, I mean, it, the hammerhead is an amazing creature. It's uh, it has you know the hammerhead is is called a cephalofoil, and it's filled with these jelly filled sensory organs called the ampullae of Lorenzini, and they essentially make the hammerhead. It's like a living metal detector. So when you look at a hammerhead swim. It swims in a way that its head kind of swivels back and forth, and they like to swim close to the ocean floor because they they eat a lot of rays or skates. I, I'm not I'm not good at the difference between rays and skates. I, I still don't know. But they they feast on those, and they find them by scanning across the ocean floor using the ampullae of Lorenzini uh, to detect electrical pulses and temperature gradients. It also wow. sounds like an Italian uh, painter for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's such a cool fact. Yeah, and most a lot of sharks have that um, that ability and that that specific organ, you know, amplified Lorenzini. And when you see sharks kind of going to that uh, weird shock phase, you ever seen that they've shown it on shark week so many times where like someone will go to the back of the boat and grab the shark, the great white by its snout and squeeze yeah. it. And it kind of like goes into shock. That's why, because right. they're, they're super sensitive mm. um, sensory organs. So, <laughs> right. Ooh. so cool. And they can, they can sense a drop of blood in a square mile of water. Yeah. Which is great. insane to me. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, they're amazing, amazing, uh, amazing critters, and I would definitely want to try a day as a as a hammerhead. Okay, that's yeah, a great baby. answer. I, like I mean, yeah. <laughs> both of your answers were filled with fascinating facts. Um, mine will not be. I would say a penguin is what comes to mind first. However, <laughs> I hate the cold, so I can't see yeah. how that would be an enjoyable experience for me for like more than an hour. Um, <laughs> So but what an hour, Ethan. What an hour. I, but damn, what an hour I would live yeah. before killing myself, before jumping off a mountain. Would you be would you be an emperor penguin? They're my favorite. Yeah, I, They're the ones who look like a tuxedo zone. Yes, on. exactly. So I'm a huge fan. I mean a huge fan of all penguins. But yes, if I had to choose one, of course I would be the emperor because narcissism also. <laughs> um they're called emperors. But no, I would probably be if I had to choose one, probably something with flight. 
because, you know, even in this movie, ah. watching uh, Maui turn into a hawk and fly around, it's like, I don't know what's cooler than that. That's got to be the coolest yeah. experience. And I, it makes me just a little um, visit into the psycho world of my brain. I get mad looking at birds sometimes because of jealousy. I'm, I don't understand how we are so much more advanced than them. I have a VR headset, but I can't fly like this bird fly. And there's so many kinds of birds and they all fly. And I'm sitting here like, I got to go to the airport. I got to go through security. I got to sit. You know what I mean? It's a pain in the right. ass for me to fly. Yeah. <laughs> true really it's true it's true but people always ask me would you prefer to fly or or be able to breathe underwater and i for sure would go with breathing underwater Mm. hands down yes your mermaid intuition definitely (laughs) itself to that makes a lot of sense mocha mermaid um mermaid speaking of mocha mermaid where can people find you online where can they keep up with you danny uh i i I, i'm so sad that we have to wrap this up i really feel like i could talk to you guys forever but um but we do and so yeah. where can people continue their Mocha Mermaid journeys? Well, I am all over the internet. Uh, you can find me just for my name, Danny Washington, D-A-N-N-I Washington. That's my website too, dannywashington.com. But also I have a nonprofit that I started 12 years ago here in Miami oh. with my mom. We co-founded it together. It's called Big Blue and You. And it's all about inspiring the next generation of ocean leaders through science and media and art. So we host events for kids. It's basically an introduction to the ocean and fall in love with it so that therefore later in life or right now at whatever age they are at, they can protect the ocean as well. Because if you love something, you will protect it. And so that's what we do. And we, we were continually creating programming. We're getting ready to launch some new virtual programming that I'm very excited about. So check out bigblueandyou.org and you can see some of the stuff that we've worked on in the past. Awesome. Okay. Bigblueandyou.org. Um, Tom and I, we got a collab on an ocean positivity song for these kids. Yes, that would be great. There's no problem. <laughs> um, plus, I would just love that. And uh, people should keep a lookout for the Genius Generation an upcoming secret podcast of yours. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Coming in February 2021. Make sure you tune in. The Genius Generation is about to, like, blow you away. So please tune in. Love that. Okay, awesome. And Tom, where can people follow you? What's up? Yes. Yeah. So uh, anywhere on social media at Tom McGovern 27, uh, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, just Tom McGovern. I'm I'm trying to post as much uh, dumb content musical content as possible. Um, I use dumb in a positive way. Also on Spotify as well. Tom McGovern on Spotify. And I'm, I'm getting into Twitch for the first time. So if, oh. you, if you're a Twitch yes. user, I do songwriting streams where I'll take some suggestions from whoever's hanging out in the chat and I'll record and produce a song live on the stream. So oh my Lord. if that sounds fun, come hang out at Tom McGovern 27 on Twitch. Wow. Okay, so follow Tom McGovern everywhere. He's the man, hilarious, uh, good, good soul, a hammerhead soul. <laughs> hammerhead soul. <laughs> um, right on. And thank you guys so much. This was uh, so much fun, and uh, I hope we can speak again about some sort of other uh, oceanic film. Yeah, maybe Moana the series when it comes out next year. Yeah, Moana the show. Great. Yeah. Okay, love it. <laughs> thank you both, and uh, have a wonderful weekend. Cool. You too. Thank Bye, guys. You. Thank you so much. Bye. Bad Science is a Seeker podcast produced by Emily Feld and me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. And the executive Polynesian deucer, he's not Polynesian, is Brett Kushner. 
Oh, follow us on Instagram at BadSciencePod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at BadSciencePodCast.com. That's BadSciencePodCast.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.